Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.50 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 20th of September, 2021. This is episode 479 of Bitcoin and calling for your help. I need I need you guys to help me out, make this show something that I can do literally for the rest of my life, for my life. I get way more enjoy it, enjoyment doing this than much else. <laughs> I mean, I, I enjoy, you know, propagating goomy berries and, and black locust trees and, and comfrey and stuff like that. And I'm going to try to make that, you know, turn that into a go. But other than that, and, you know, hanging out with my kids and my wife, there's not a whole lot going on that, that I enjoy anywhere close to as much as I enjoy bringing you this show, bringing you the news Monday through Friday at a time of day that, as my father used to say, ain't nobody up at this time of day except oil men and thieves. <laughs> so I, I'm calling on you guys to, to give me, lend me a hand, stream me Satoshis through the Breeze wallet uh, or any of the other podcasting 2.0 apps that allow you to, to load up with some Satoshis and you can stream me those as I stream you the dulcet tones at 5.52 a.m. Central Daylight Time. <clears throat> now, uh, that said, I also could use a couple of, you know, five-star reviews. Uh, spread the word about the show. Uh, re- like, retweet the show announcements. Uh, that has been actually very, very helpful. And I, God, you know, I just loathe to put up a Patreon, but I'm, I'm almost ready to do it. The reason I don't want a Patreon is that I really just don't, I really don't want to deal in, in fiat currency anymore. I'm, I'm like so exiting, exiting, want to exit this society that we have just made. We've made our society so overwrought, so confusing, so congested, so full of bullshit that I just, I honestly just want out. And I could use your help to do that. And if you help me, by God, I will try to help you. And I'm going to do that shit right now by telling you about the El Salvador Bitcoin Day Index is moving to a new home. Give at Bitcoin Day Index a follow and don't miss it. So what is it? Well, let's look at a tweet from it. It's a bot. And it actually came from Bitcoin Belly Button. Uh, Let's see. That would be, let's see, what's... uh, Let's see. Uh, at Bitcoin Belly B is the guy that started this. So give Bitcoin Belly B a follow and check out his new one, Bitcoin Day Index. 
So what he did on, uh, actually, this was back on September the 8th, uh, come to think of it. I didn't realize it had been around that long, but um, it's one of those tracking bots. And this one tracks the $30 airdrop of Bitcoin to the El Salvadoran people and to anybody that bought $30 uh, of Bitcoin on that day, which was September the 7th. Uh, it says 30 USD <clears throat> on El Salvador Bitcoin day got you 63,900 Satoshis. Now 63,900 Satoshis are $29.53, representing a 1.61% drop one BTC. And then he gives the price of BTC. At the time, it was 46,205. Uh, one USD gets you, got you 2,164 Satoshis. And then he gives the date and the time at which time you would smash by that. And then, uh, then he does the uh, day before one BTC equals uh, like 46 grand. Uh, one USD got you 2,130 Satoshis. And that was the, on Tuesday, September the 7th, 2001 at 11 a.m. Central Daylight Time. So if you want to track uh, what happened to, you know, a $30 purchase or the $30 airdrop that El Salvadorans uh, were given on the uh, September the 7th, then a Bitcoin day index is just right up your alley. Now, speaking of El Salvador, <clears throat> what's going on here, man? What's going on? We just bought the dip. 150 new coins. El Salvador now holds 700 Bitcoin. That is President Nayib Bukele, who goes on to say in a series of other tweets, they can never beat you if you buy the dips. And finishing off with this one, and this one's my favorite, presidential advice. <laughs> Not investment advice, people. Presidential advice. Oh, hell yeah. Now, okay, so Nayib Bukele's an authoritarian bastard. That's okay. I was going to say that's okay. No, that's actually not fucking okay. But he's our authoritarian asshole, right? You know, what, what the hell are we going to do about that? And nothing. Why? Because Bitcoin is for everybody. It's for your enemies. It's for your friends. It's for your family. It's for people you don't know. It's for people that aren't born yet. It's for people that have already died. It's Bitcoin is literally for everybody. You can't stop it. I can't stop it. And if somebody could stop it, they would have. And we wouldn't be here right now, would we? So, yeah, there's a lot of people bitching about the fact that Naib Bukele is an authoritarian asshole. He walked into parliament or whatever their freaking Congress chambers are called with armed troops. You don't do that. Like I said, I think it was on Friday when Caesar walked over the Rubicon with an armed army coming back from battle and they were supposed to disarm at the river. That was the rule. No, when he walked across the Rubicon, everybody knew they were going to get a fucking dictator. This guy, probably going to be a dictator. Does it matter? Well, yeah, it probably should. Yeah, it does. Does it matter to Bitcoin? No. Why? Bitcoin doesn't give a fuck, right? Let's move on. El Salvador ranks third in global Bitcoin ATM installations. <clears throat> Arjit Sarkar has this one from Cointelegraph. El Salvador now hosts the third largest network of crypto ATMs after the United States and Canada, amounting to 70% of all crypto ATMs in South America. According to data from Coin ATM Radar, El Salvador has exceeded United Kingdom's crypto ATM count after deploying 205 crypto ATMs to date to facilitate local Bitcoin transactions and BTC to USD 
conversions. Comparing this to a Statista data from August the 16th, it becomes evident that El Salvador has successfully installed 201 ATMs in just one month. Beforehand, the country ranked 43rd on the list with just four functional crypto ATMs. President Nayib Bukele had previously stated that Bitcoin's adoption would be initially supported by a network of 200 ATMs and 50 branches. The Salvadoran government has partnered with an in-house cryptocurrency wallet provider named Chivo to power the BTC wallets and ATM usage in the country. Crypto ATM installations are at an all-time high around the world with 27,664 active machines and 2,790 new machines being added in the month of September alone. The increase in El Salvador's ATM installation drive aligns with the recent presidential order that requires all businesses to accept payments in Bitcoin. However, the merchants retain the option to convert Bitcoin payments to USD before withdrawing their earnings. While other jurisdictions are yet to decide on Bitcoin's use case as a mainstream asset, an average of 63.7 ATMs continue to get installed globally every single day. Genesis Coin remains a leading crypto ATM manufacturer with market share of 40.7%, while General Bytes and BitAccess represent 22.7 and 12.7% respectively of the market. El Salvador's Bitcoin adoption has seen some resistance from locals, which recently led to the burning of a Chivo-supported Bitcoin machine. <laughs> uh, the FBI is a little far from home, aren't they? Those protesting adoption of Bitcoin highlighted uh, concerns regarding uncertainty, price fluctuation, and a lack of exposure to the crypto market. The Chivo kiosk is the government's first attempt to create an infrastructure for BTC and U.S. dollar conversions. Currently, El Salvador uses both Bitcoin and the U.S. dollar as legal tender so there you go now authoritarian as he is the guy's moving forward and and you know honestly the more that i think about it the more it ends up being quite the situation where we have you know freedom money and it's being adopted by somebody who doesn't look like they're all about you know that much freedom and it's kind of a confusing situation isn't it but again, it illustrates the fact that Bitcoin is for everybody. Bitcoin is for your enemies. Okay, Bitcoin is for you. Bitcoin is for me. Bitcoin is for enemies. And nothing really demonstrates it as much as the fact that we have an authoritarian dickwad who's going to do Bitcoin. Isn't that weird? You know, I, I didn't realize just how bad the guy was. <clears throat> but like the more I thought about it, I just had to come to that conclusion that he's not a good guy simply because when I found out and, and was able to confirm that he did, in fact, walk into Congress with uh, armed, uh, armed police or army, rather, um, that's not that's never that is never a good sign. So let's just move on to our own problems at home. U.S. Homeland Security signs a one point three three six million dollar contract with Coinbase. Homeland Security, the United States Homeland Security is working with Coinbase now. This is going to be uh, written by Tim Hockey out of Decrypt.co. And get this, it's the Immigration and Customs Enforcement branch of the U.S. Homeland Security that was given a, uh, or that has given a $1.36 million contract to crypto exchange giant Coinbase for business application and application development software, according to the Federal Procurement Data System. The new deal is Coinbase's largest federal contract yet. 
The deal was signed on Thursday and is worth about 40 times more than Coinbase's last contract with Homeland Security. (coughs) Back on August the 9th this year, the ICE paid Coinbase $29,000 for forensic software. According to a document dated August the 3rd, the contract was given to Coinbase on the basis that the company (coughs) is the only vendor who can reasonably provide the services required by the agency. Details as to exactly what the ICE wants Coinbase software for are scarce, of course. The same document later states, quote, this requirement is law enforcement sensitive. Therefore, minimal information will be provided publicly. ICE is not the first government agency to request Coinbase's services. Last year, Coinbase announced its desire to sell analytics tools to two U.S. government branches, the Drug Enforcement Agency and the Inland Revenue Service. The IRS said that it could use several analytics tools to help catch blockchain-savvy tax dodgers, including Coinbase Analytics, formerly known as Neutrino. Coinbase acquired Neutrino back in 2019 for $13.5 million, and it was a controversial acquisition at the time, since Neutrino members had been linked to an Italian organization called Hacking Team, which sold spyware to authoritarian regimes in Saudi Arabia, Sudan, and Venezuela. Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong later expressed his regret towards the purchase and sacked the more dubious members of the team. Coinbase later sourced analytics software deals with both the Secret Service and the IRS. Coinbase is now inking million-dollar deals with the federal government. Move over chain analysis. The U.S. government may have a new favorite blockchain company, the Naked Mole Rats Company. Yeah, what do you think about that shit, huh? Right? Right? So, Immigration and Customs Enforcement Branch of U.S. Homeland Security. Why? Why Immigration and Customs Enforcement? Does this have something to do with, you know, I don't know, remittance? Like, are they they gearing up to make sure that all remittances go, are are funneled through Western Union at like 10 to 12% cut? Is that what's going on? I, I mean, immigration and customs generally means physical movement of bodies and goods across borders. But I'm starting to wonder. I'm starting to wonder if this is going to have somehow have something to do with uh, they want their cut of remittance. That's what I think it is. So how, how the hell are they going to do it? Well, the only thing that they're going to be able to do is basically just look at people from, you know, that are physically in the United States that have some kind of immigration status and somehow or another look and try to find their wallets. So if for whatever reason you have a wallet that somehow or another has been doxxed and most of our wallets have been doxxed insofar as like, you know, when I bought, oh, like, let's say my let, let's say that my ticket to last bit block boom, which I wasn't able to go to, so I gave it away. But that, you know, that could have been a doxing event because I just, you know, wasn't being really careful about coin join and, and stuff like that. And I still have, honestly, I still have yet to get up to speed on all that kind of stuff because I'm just, I don't normally, I try to hodl my Bitcoin. I, I don't really try to spend it all that much. But that one, you know, probably docked that particular wallet. So, you know, what's, what's, what, what is one to do if they are going to come after remittance 
from the people in the United States that are trying to send money back home to their relatives without paying an exorbitant cost and causing their relatives to have to go to a physical Western Union station somewhere in, say, El Salvador, where you know there are gangs who will let you go in, but they will rob your ass when you come out. You know, that, that, you don't want that to happen. So all we're trying to do, you know, <clears throat> what good people are trying to do is try to alleviate that situation. And yet here we have immigrations and customs enforcement asking naked mole rat Brian Armstrong to pony up the goods so that they can do exactly what? Not sure, but I almost can guarantee you it's got something to do with remittance. I, I, I can't see them being able to have any other reason whatsoever for immigration and customs enforcement to have some kind of blockchain analytics software. So for all you people that are listening that are, you know, that have immigration status in the United States, start watching this shit very, very carefully. All right. Because it's, it's going, it's probably going to affect you some, some way or another, and it's going to affect the family members that you're trying to help out in another country your country of your homeland, your homeland country or the country of your birth or, you know, wherever they are. Um, just be aware. Oh, Harvest of Deception report is out. And um, <clears throat> this is actually going to be from Texas Slim. Uh, I talked to him in person at a coffee shop the other day and we, uh, we had like a good two, two and a half hour conversation. And he went up on Harvest, what, what he calls he went on Harvest, okay? And for the description he gave to me is that he went and talked to a bunch of ranchers and a bunch of commodity farmers and was just asking questions about the harvest, what they were growing. And he ended up getting a whole bunch of information that just honestly is, is not, you know, was not pleasant information to hear. He told me that he was going to be writing a report and uh, he has dropped said report. Um, it is at uh mtminitiative.com all one word mtminitiative.com forward slash report forward slash harvest of deception and it dropped this morning on the 20th and let me just read the some of the introduction uh to begin with i come from texas and my grandfather farmed the land in which i have settled i reside on the llano estacado the cap rock of the texas panhandle the desert high plains and the end of the breadbasket. My ancestral family survived farming and was near the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. To make it simple, I come from Texas dirt and thus I've lived a life of grit with a form of strength you find from pioneering spirits that created me. All right, so in this particular thing, we've got, you know, he's, he's talked about, he's talking about canola oil the fact that it's taking over as a commodity crop and the loss of our, not ability, but our, our the farmer's ability to make money hard, you know, doing a, <clears throat> a wheat, you know, or something else. Canola is, a, is toxic, all right? It's a toxic plant. It's also known as rapeseed, all right? Uh, it's not good for you and you shouldn't be using it uh, as as an oil in your food like at all. So skip Mazzola because that actually has maize and canola in it. Skip 100% canola oil because it's, clearly you don't want to have anything to do with it. But read this report because it's, it, you know, he, he talks about how farmers are starting to move over to canola because of price manipulation in wheat and some other issues. That's not all of it, okay? That I'm just trying to touch on just why you want to get into this thing. 
but you really, really probably should check this shit out. Besides, McDonald's uses GE canola oil to fry all of its food, in case you were wondering. I've got to get my kids to stop wanting McDonald's, honestly. Uh, let's see, what else have we got going on here? Uh, ooh, let's see. Bitcoin is an astonishing instrument for change. Let's get into this one. It is by Stephen Chow, Bitcoin Magazine. I see Bitcoin as an astonishing instrument. The more you pour yourself into it, the more of yourself comes out of it. The more you pour your dreams into it, the more your dreams become reality. The canvas is wide open, but a true masterpiece requires an extraordinary artist to create it. Bitcoin is money fit for kings, but you must conduct king-like behavior to see king-like results. I worry a lot about incompetent gatekeepers who get to decide how money gets distributed. Perhaps they're in charge of a foundation that claims to support living artists. Do they know high quality when they see it? Do they know how much someone really needs? Are they willing to give that much when they find out? Will they close their purse when they discover that someone's political views differ from theirs? <clears throat> this is why Bitcoin excites me like nothing else. You don't have to depend on these gatekeepers anymore. The game opens up and now there are thousands of players on the field when once there were only two or three. That one person with an extraordinary vision no longer has to depend on an extraordinary opportunity for funding. There is an explosion of new opportunities, whether for self-funding or for acting as a private patron and deciding that you want to help fund others. You get to bet on yourself like never before. The underdogs can make themselves heard. Do you know exactly what you can do? Do you have an ambitious idea that only a small handful of potential sponsors would appreciate or understand? Well, <clears throat> with Bitcoin, and especially when you're on a Bitcoin standard, the likelihood increases dramatically that that rare person with a deep understanding of your potential has the resources to help you. I can give you some personal examples because from 2018 to 2019, I gave it my best shot as an art patron. Bitcoin gave me the opportunity to help living artists in a way I never could have dreamed of in the years prior. Two opportunities in particular appeared out of the blue. One, to send 5,000 Canadian dollars to author Alexander Dawkins to help fund the publication of Understanding Northwest Coast Indigenous Jewelry. And another, to send 10,000 CAD to Haida artist Lyle Campbell to purchase a 40-foot red cedar log that would be used to carve a public totem pole as a memorial for his late mom. These are two of my favorite projects that I've ever participated in, and without having Bitcoin as a long-term foundation, neither would have been possible. My dream is that the neglected genius suffers no more, or at least as little as humanly possible, that the rare artist and the rare patron are empowered to make even more idiosyncratic choices because they are on a Bitcoin standard. Electricity and creative genius becomes the focus and a matter of pride and joy at a time when everyone can afford the basic necessities because the money is no longer broken. That, if you think you have something important to say, you get as many opportunities as you want to try to make a difference. And that we no longer have to keep silent because there wasn't enough money to go around. You are on the frontiers of what Bitcoin is capable of. You get to decide your ambitions, your dreams, your vision. Nice. Well put. And he's got a couple of pictures. He's got a picture of the totem pole that he was talking about. And that is one big... That's one big totem, dude. And this uh, <clears throat> cover of uh, Understanding Northwest Coast Indigenous Jewelry, and there are some pieces on here that are absolutely gorgeous, honestly. So, you know, I talked to, you know, at the opening of the show, talked about how I could, I could use some help to be able to do this show, 
the way that I truly want to be able to do this show and not have to do anything else. Because if I could just do this show, I'd be able to do a lot more stuff with it. But I have to do other things, right? So if you want to support somebody, I don't know. <laughs> support me, bitches. <laughs> Sam Borgi has this one from Cointelegraph. A hundred years ago, Henry Ford proposed energy currency to replace gold. Yeah, he wasn't the only one. Buckminster Fuller did too. This is out of Cointelegraph, if I didn't say it. In 1921, American industrialist Henry Ford proposed the creation of an energy currency that could form the basis of a new monetary system, offering striking similarities to the peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system outlined in Satoshi Nakamoto's 2008 Bitcoin white paper. On December 4th, 1921, the New York Tribune published an article outlining Ford's vision of replacing gold with an energy currency that he believed could break the banking elite's grip on global wealth and put an end to war. He intended to do this by building the world's greatest power plant and creating a new currency system based on units of power. Ford, who founded Ford Motor Company in 1903, told the publication, quote, under the energy currency system, the standard would be a certain amount of energy exerted for one hour that would be equal to $1. It's simply a case of thinking and calculating in terms different from those laid down to us by the international banking group to which we have grown so accustomed that we think there is no other desirable standard, end quote. The specifics around currency values will be worked out when Congress cares to hear about it, he said. Although Ford was never able to advance his vision of a fully backed currency, Bitcoin has seemingly vindicated the idea one century later. Since 2009, more than 18.8 .8 million BTC have been created through energy-intensive mining that requires computers to solve increasingly complex math problems. That's not exactly the way it works, but we'll go with it. This proof-of-work mining process has drawn heavy criticism over its alleged environmental impact, a short-sighted claim that ignores Bitcoin's ability to accelerate the shift to renewable energy. On the, on the relation between gold and war, Ford explained, quote, The essential evil of gold in its relation to war is the fact that it can be controlled. Break the control and you stop war, end quote. <clears throat> Some of Bitcoin's most ardent supporters believe the cryptocurrency's sound money principles could eliminate war by reducing the state's ability to fund conflict through inflation. While a gold standard makes it harder for governments to inflate their currency, international bankers, as Ford explained, controlled the bulk of the bullion supply. This process of controlling and accumulating precious commodities allowed financial elites to create an active market for money, which thrived during wartime. The remnants of the gold standard were abandoned in 1971 by U.S. President Richard Nixon, dickhead, <clears throat> who said his government would temporarily suspend convertibility between dollars and bullion. The so-called quasi-gold standard would last until 1973, with all definitions linking the dollar to bullion removed by 1976. However, in effect, the gold standard system was eliminated by the British government back in 1931, with the U.S. following suit two years later in 1933. The New York Tribune article circulated on Reddit's Our Cryptocurrency page on Saturday, where it received considerable upvotes. While Satoshi Nakamoto never mentioned Henry Ford in online forum posts, some Reddit users speculated that Bitcoin's creator may have been influenced by the late industrialist. Others jokingly said Satoshi was actually Ford's reincarnate, given the latter's apparent belief in reincarnation. <laughs> now, Ford and Buckminster Fuller uh, both 
had the idea of an energy currency. Buckminster Fuller came <clears throat> uh, way after Henry Ford, and he may have just been, you know, maybe he was parroting what Henry Ford had said, but it made, you know, it made a lot of, it, it, it made sense then, it makes sense now, but it wasn't, I don't think it would have been able to have been implemented in 1921. The Bitcoin implementation actually makes Henry Ford's vision come to life. But I don't know what they would have been able to do back then by just generating power and saying, and because at that point, you're just going to say that $1 is worth, you know, I don't know, what, like a kilowatt hour or something like that. There's no way to enforce that. Bitcoin takes energy and enforces it into a monetary policy. All right, that's the only implementation I've ever known about that would be able to do that. So, but let's move on. Texas is pissed off again. Um, and this time they've got New Jersey in on them. And the last time they did this, <clears throat> honestly, was, I think it was, uh, the name is OneCoin. It's been a while. Uh, the second that Texas said cease and desist, that's when the OneCoin thing started to fall apart and it fell apart very quickly. So, Who's not immune today? I don't know. We'll find out from Turner Wright and Cointelegraph. The Texas State Securities Board has filed for a hearing with the potential to impose a cease and desist order against crypto lending firm Celsius Network for not offering securities licensed at the state or federal level, while the New Jersey Bureau of Securities has ordered the platform to stop offering and selling interest-earning cryptocurrency products. According to a September 17th filing, the Texas regulator will be holding a hearing related to allegations that Celsius Network is offering and selling securities in Texas that are not registered or permitted, in addition to not registering as a dealer under the state's Securities Act. Should the judge accept that the platform's offerings represented unlicensed securities, Celsius Network may be subject to a cease and desist. On the same day, the New Jersey Bureau of Securities announced that it had issued a cease and desist against Celsius for allegedly funding its cryptocurrency lending operations and proprietary trading, at least in part through the sale of unregistered securities in violation of the New Jersey securities law. According to the state regulator, the platform raised $14 billion from those sales. Oh my. Quote, financial companies operating in the cryptocurrency marketplace are on notice, said New Jersey's acting attorney general, Andrew Bruck. <clears throat> Quote, if you sell securities in New Jersey, you need to comply with New Jersey's investor protection laws. Companies dealing in cryptocurrencies are not immune from oversight. End quote. The hearing in Texas will be held <clears throat> either online or in person on February the 14th. Should the judge grant a cease and desist, Celsius Network and its affiliates, Celsius Network Limited, Celsius U.S. Holdings, and Celsius Lending would likely be required to stop offering crypto services in Texas without registering with the state securities board or the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. According to the Texas filing, Celsius held more than $24 billion in digital assets as of September 3rd, whoa, making the company one of the largest in decentralized finance. Its holdings have grown by more than 2,300%. That's 2,300% since June 2020 when it reported $1 billion in digital assets. In Texas, Celsius Network has more than $344 million in assets under management from more than 9,000 residents and local businesses as of June the 9th. Wow, uh, they're not going to be... Uh, that's not going to go well for them. Uh, like I said, remember what happened to OneCoin? 
Texas doesn't do this very often. The only other time that I've seen Texas do this, and it doesn't mean that they haven't done it. I'm just saying that the only other time that I heard about Texas uh, doing a whole cease and desist was one coin. And the, this almost immediately after that happened, that entire thing fell apart. You're talking about a lot of money, a lot. Speaking of money, let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities. Uh, flammable liquids are down across the board. We have West Texas Intermediate at, uh, it's down two points to $70.57 per barrel. Brenton North Sea, likewise, down 1.63%, $74.11 per barrel. Natural gas down about a quarter, $5.09 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline has fallen by 2%, or almost 2%, $2.13 a gallon on the futures market. Peter Schiff is happy because gold has gained $5 an ounce. Boy, you're doing real well there, pal. $1,756. So I guess over the weekend, gold got hit pretty fucking hard. I don't know, man. I wasn't watching. But uh, silver is up 0.08% to $22.35, basically where it's been for like ever. Platinum down 1.64%. Copper down a full two points. Palladium down 1.75. All agricultural futures are down. Corn is down one and a half. Sugar is down one and a half. And coffee is down one and a half. And cotton is down damn near 2%. Uh, we have Dow futures down, ooh, wow, 1.5%. S&P futures f signaling is going to be down 1.32%. NASDAQ futures down one1 and S&P Mini is down 1.7. Who gives a shit? Let's talk about real money. $44,371 is the price of Bitcoin at the time. 2,000, sorry, 218,800 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is about 9,000 transactions on average per hour with only 296,000 BTC being sent in that period. Uh, that's about 12,300 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.35 BTC and a median transaction value of 0 0.012, 550 bucks. I haven't seen it that low in a long time. And I also haven't seen the block time this low in a long time. Eight minutes and 56 seconds. We have 0 0.05 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. 9.5 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And with an almost 7% jump in hash rate, we are back to 152.9 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge that has fallen all the way down to 21 cents. Oh, Mark, Mark. Uh, Clark Moody is showing only 1,000 transactions and yet, and yet, it's waiting, they are waiting on nine full blocks to clear. I have no idea if Clark Moody's dashboard is broken in this respect, but I don't, I don't know. There's no reason in the world for 1,000 transactions to need any more than one single block to be able to get through. I'm, I'm just kind of trying to figure that one out, but be that as it may, we have a market cap of $831.3 billion, which is 7.22% of gold's total market cap. And with your one Bitcoin, you can buy 25.0 ounces of shiny metal rocks. 
18,821,210.25 is the number of BTC in circulation at the time. And 2,577 of those are locked up in the Lightning Network at a capacity value of $113.8 million. That's being run over 15,466 nodes and has 71,197 total payment channels that we can see. 74.4% of all of that is being run over the Tor side of the Lightning Network, representing 1,917.69 BTC, and we are now over 10,000 Tor nodes. Oh, nice. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Bitcoin Magazine's Arkash Nalawade is writing this one. Bitcoin has already won. Soon, the price will reflect that. Yeah, really fucking win, man. I'm getting bored at, at, in, in, there, in here. Although I shouldn't say that because we were all talking about how bored we were with, with the, the 58K, you know, the whole 58K hodl gang and all that shit. Yeah. I would much rather be back there than where we are now, but whatever, Bitcoin is one. There has never been a more secure, scarce, valuable, transportable, decentralized, and networked asset in all of humanity's history. It's more mobile than gold. It appreciates faster than property. Its supply is fixed, unlike stocks and bonds. Its payment network is faster and cheaper than Visa. Its user base is growing faster than the internet's was in the 90s. Its market cap is a shade over a trillion dollars. No, it's not. <laughs> it has an enormous potential upside. It's already too big to fail. And yet, skeptics keep repeating the same old FUD. Here's where I break it down. Bitcoin is a railway network in cyberspace. What's greener, driving to work or getting on the train? Well, the train, obviously. But what if you factor in the total energy consumption of building a fully functional and connected rail network? It took decades and billions of dollars to create a rail network that everyone can use for a fraction of the cost. That's what Bitcoin is, a railway network in cyberspace. The energy used up to create this massive, secure, decentralized, and redundant network is enormous, but only when viewed in isolation. When it's complete, and it almost is, it will allow anyone to send money to anyone else anywhere at any time for almost no cost pure frictionless money energy or monetary energy flowing between parties across the bitcoin rails ultra fast ultra secure ultra reliable imagine yourself trying to send your friend in bhutan a bar of gold at 12:45 p.m on a sunday bitcoin does this in a second Everything is either matter or energy, and humans need energy to survive. We've always converted energy from one form to the other. Take electricity, for example. Electricity cannot be transported for more than 500 miles. That's a hard limit. So when human populations blossomed in cities throughout history, New York City, Bombay, London, Paris, Singapore, electricity had to be transported to them. And because of the hard limit, we built power stations. We expanded so much energy to bring energy, or sorry, we expended so much energy to bring energy to people. But there's trapped energy on Earth in places that are entirely uninhabitable. Streams, seas, deserts, forests, geysers, ice caps. What if you could convert the kinetic energy of a remote waterfall in the middle of an uninhabited part of the Amazon rainforest into electricity and use that power to power? 
power up a Bitcoin mining rig, you've now converted natural renewable energy into an asset. Now multiply that by a billion. There are a billion sources of trapped energy on our planet, which we ignored simply because we don't live close to them. A total decentralized, unintrusive, renewable network of Bitcoin rigs whizzing away to create a secure decentralized asset network powered by Mother Nature. We don't need this electricity to be fed into our homes because no one lives there. How about we use it to mine Bitcoin instead? Hey, if Bitcoin is really this valuable, why don't we use every single computer chip on the planet to do one thing? Mine Bitcoin. Won't this mean we can mine more of it and get paid and get rich? Isn't that what we did with Gold Rush? Well, no, you, you kind of can't because of the beauty of the difficulty adjustment. You see, unlike fiat money, which can be conjured up from nothing, uh, the number of Bitcoin that can be mined is fixed. When you mine, you get rewarded for your work in Bitcoin. You can only ever mine a fixed number of Bitcoin in a particular cycle, and this reward halves every four years. As more and more miners pile in with their supercomputing hardware into the digital gold rush, the Bitcoin algorithm automatically adjusts the difficulty to make it harder to mine the fixed number of Bitcoin. When China banned Bitcoin mining a few months back, the Bitcoin hash rate went down by 50%. The difficulty adjustment automatically made it easier for the remaining miners to mine Bitcoin. You see, it's a genius function of incentive, demand, supply, and compute power, and it happens automatically, and it worked like a charm. Do you think Google would face any issues if 50% of its compute power switched off overnight? Bitcoin has never been hacked in 12 years and counting. Its greatest weapon, decentralization and redundancy. Every single Bitcoin node has a copy of the blockchain that every other node has. So if you'd like to edit or hack the blockchain, you'd have to get 51% of the entire global Bitcoin mining network to agree with you. You can't because they won't. You see, mining not only generates more Bitcoin, it also secures the network through decentralization and redundancy. So miners are incentivized to mine Bitcoin. And as a byproduct, every Bitcoiner wins. If you'd like to ban Facebook, you give Zuckerberg a call. So who do you call to turn off Bitcoin? No one. <laughs> no, not a single person. There's so much more FUD that I'll be debunking in the next few days. This was simply a taster. Bitcoin is a rabbit hole that never ends. It's grounded in economics, ec ecology, network theory, computer science, math, cybersecurity, and game theory. And the more you dig, the more you'll find. It's a trillion dollar treasure trove that 99% of the world doesn't own, but you can, so why wait? All right, nice, that was a good little piece, man. Now, Cointelegraph has this one. Here's why Bitcoin might be safe from a global stock market crisis. Marcel Peckman is writing this for Cointelegraph. One of the reasons behind BTC's volatility, the substantial price oscillations that occur regularly is the discrepancy of its use case. Some pundits deem it digital gold, a truly scarce and perfect store of value. Others consider Bitcoin a technology project or a type of software with a corresponding network. El Salvador's adoption as legal tender will likely evidence the means of, of exchange functionality that the Lightning Network provides. The Layer 2 scaling solution allows instant and insanely cheap transfers, although it requires regular on-chain transactions to enter or exit this parallel network. As these narratives about Bitcoin shift over time, so does BTC's correlation to traditional assets. For example, there have been sustained periods of strong correlation with gold. The March 2020 crash was devastating for almost every asset class, but the recovery pattern that followed those six or seven months was virtually identical for gold and Bitcoin. 
Curiously, the opposite movement occurred in 2021, displaying an inverse correlation between the two assets. On the other hand, Bitcoin started to mimic the Hong Kong stock market as measured by the Hang Seng Index. Among its top constituents are Tencent, Alibaba, and Muotuan, or however you pronounce that shit, which are billion-dollar Asian tech companies. This shift in investors' perspective from tracking gold price to tech stocks begs one, begs one the question of whether Bitcoin will succumb to the Hang Seng downward movement seen in the past 90 days. Does it make sense to decouple right now? If so, will Bitcoin continue to act as a safe haven amid a general correction? On September the 14th, China's second largest property developer, Evergrande Group, announced that a significant decline in sales forced the company to postpone payments over its debt. This single company has over $300 billion in liabilities, which, and according to analysts, could serve a, or rather severely impact the broader markets. In August, China's retail sales disappointed at 2.5% versus the previous year, where investors expected a 7% growth rate. Obviously, growth in the economy were heavily impacted in 2020 by government's reaction to the COVID-19 outbreak. However, one must consider that the most influential central banks have been practicing near zero or even negative interest rates since Q1 of 2020. Thus, if the economy fails to gain momentum amid multiple trillion dollar stimulus packages, there's not much that can be done to prevent a generalized stock market correction and potential losses on debt markets. The problem is Bitcoin might be 12 years old, but it has never faced a significant economic crisis, at least nothing that puts the $250 trillion plus global debt market at risk. Therefore, any analysis or estimate will unlikely yield a credible assessment. However, the cryptocurrency has an edge over traditional markets like commercial real estate, stocks, and bonds. Lenders will foreclose on these assets if clients default on their payments, and this adds further pressure because the bank or institution has no interest in keeping them. On the other hand, generally speaking, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies cannot be used as collateral. Regarding the billion-dollar Bitcoin futures liquidations on derivatives markets, those are just synthetic instruments. Undoubtedly, these events will impact the price, but at the end of the day, the effect of BTC stays at the derivatives exchange. It solely moves from the long, uh, from the long balance to the short account. Until Bitcoin becomes fully entrenched in financial markets and accepted as collateral in deposits, the midterm systemic risk for the cryptocurrency is lower than the traditional markets. So, yeah, the whole Evergrande thing is getting uh, is getting pretty bad. In fact, hold on for a sec. Yeah, I'm going to go go ahead and do this one uh, next because uh, it makes more sense than where I had it positioned. But Coindesk's David Morris has this one. Evergrande and China's looming risk to tether. All right. So, yeah, tether FUD. But. Who knows? I mean, it's it it. You might as well know what the tether fud's about, okay? And this is going to explain this new version of tether's exposure, okay? The stablecoin issuer Tether this week declared that it doesn't hold short-term debt issued by troubled Chinese real estate developer Evergrande, since Tether doesn't disclose specifics about the commercial paper that substantially backs its stablecoin. This is a bit like serving a house guest a sandwich and loudly assuring them that it is absolutely not made from diseased horse meat. It seems increasingly likely that Evergrande is fated instead for the glue factory, uh, but it could still take Tether with it, depending on what actually is in that stablecoin sandwich. 
Though its main product since its founding in the 1990s has been housing, Evergrande has grown into a huge conglomerate with products ranging from bottled water to electric cars to a soccer team. It expanded by borrowing aggressively, including during periods when China's economic outlook was seen in much rosier terms globally than it is now. Evergrande has failed to execute on the promises backing its roughly $300 billion in debt, particularly in housing. Among other signs of serious mismanagement, customers have made large deposits on Evergrande apartments that were never built. Hundreds of customers have protested in front of the company's offices, alleging mistreatment or fraud. But this is not just about one company. Even if Tether doesn't specifically hold any of Evergrande's short-term debt, it could have huge exposure in the form of other Chinese obligations, the developer's debt is spread across an army of banks and other financial institutions, leading some analysts to worry that its collapse would have systemic impacts comparable to the fall of Lehman Brothers, which kicked off the Great Recession 13 years ago. Debt or debate swirls about whether the impact would spread beyond China, but there's broad agreement that impact within the country would be near catastrophic. Evergrande is just the latest major Chinese firm to have serious problems due to apparent fraud or mismanagement. A wave of smaller stock frauds from 2010 to 2016 were chronicled in the documentary The China Hustle and Luck and Coffee put an exclamation point on the end or on the trend in 2019, quote, that type of heavy handed control is at the core of China's conundrum as an authoritarian state trying to reap the rewards of capitalism, end quote. These frauds even show some sign of being tacitly approved by the Chinese government to the extent that they have targeted investors abroad. It's been going on for a long time. One analyst who warned about Evergrande's practices as early as 2012 was temporarily banned from Hong Kong markets by regulators for his, quote, reckless claims. <gasps> so reckless. China's loose and reactive, at best, financial regulatory environment is one reason anxiety around Tether has largely centered on whether it holds Chinese commercial paper, paper in general, not just whether it holds Evergrande's. <clears throat> Over the past two years, yet another headwind has entered the China mix after a couple of decades of relative freedom for, for entrepreneurs, including, as mentioned, the apparent freedom to commit securities fraud. Chinese leadership under Xi Jinping has begun to aggressively intervene in markets. That has included harshly curtailing apparently successful fintech firms like Ant Group and most recently instituting restrictions on video games, which can't be good for Tencent and other firms. That type of heavy-handed control is at the core of China's conundrum as an authoritarian state trying to reap the rewards of capitalism. Markets can't function without transparent information flows full stop. The systemic suppression that characterizes Chinese markets adds an opaque but potentially huge risk for the holders of any Chinese asset, even if that risk is wrapped up in a supposed stable coin. Dude, you're, yeah, that's, <laughs> it's a little, that was a little bit more about Evergrande than it was about Evergrande's, you know, or, or uh, Tether's exposure to Evergrande. I, look, the Evergrande situation is, is a catastrophe in the making. And I am almost certain that they have a that the world markets have a shit ton more exposure to Evergrande than Tether does. Now that just what does that mean? Well, that simply just means that Tether does have exposure to Evergrande, but in a way that's normal. Because if they if they're holding commercial paper, 
then all of those people at one point or another are connected to Evergrande. These global markets are interconnected in, in ways that few people understand, even Nobel laureate economists, because nobody really knows who's holding the bonds of what company and how those have been split up and then resold to other, other things or other institutions and how much retail has exposure to this stuff. Nobody knows. Nobody knew what the fuck was going on with Lehman Brothers. They sure as shit didn't know what the hell was going on with Bear Stearns. And once those two fell, everything else fell. And everybody got bailed out except Lehman and Bear Stearns. They were just allowed to basically just be absorbed or die. So when Evergrande falls, I don't know if it's going to be a worldwide catastrophe like, you know, 13 years ago or not. But one thing I do know, man, I am very, very happy that I decided to buy a little bit of Bitcoin. All right, just just saying, y'all, just saying. Speaking of, an ancient Bitcoin stash worth $30 million has just moved. Tim Hockey's got this one for Decrypt.co. A Bitcoin wallet that has been practically dormant for nine years finally showed a lot signs of life today when its owner transferred all of its 616 Bitcoin to a different wallet. On December the 10th, 2012, the wallet received some 616.2 Bitcoin. And back then, Bitcoin was worth $13. Oh, God, it just makes me sick. I, if, I had caught the, if I had caught this shit just three years earlier, man, dude, it would have been a different deal. And the entire transaction was worth about $8,195. However, with Bitcoin worth about $47,000 today, uh, actually more like $44,500, the stash has ballooned to a princely $30 million. The Bitcoin moved today at 550 UTC, according to Blockchain Explorer, blockchain.com. The value of the pod appears to have grown by 0.00001 Bitcoin through 21 intermittent transactions of negligible quantities that went into the wallet over the course of 12 years, meaning that the wallet owner has also made 47 cents. <laughs> Around a decade ago, when the wallet received its 616 Bitcoin, investors may have had limited expectations about Bitcoin's price and traded the coin like it was chump change. At today's prices, people who held onto the corn uh, held onto the corn became Bitcoin whales. Earlier this year, a wallet containing five million dollars in Bitcoin came online again after lying dormant since June of 2010. And last year, a wallet containing Bitcoin mined in February of 2009 just one month after the first Bitcoin block was mined, cashed out to the tune of $500,000, prompting unfounded speculation that the transaction had something to do with Bitcoin's enigmatic creator, the pseudonymous Satoshi Nakamoto. Today's big wallet news doesn't merit much speculation. Still, it's a powerful reminder of the wonders of investing, an increase of 358,655% over nine years is big stuff. My God, the returns. All right. Helen Parks is going to finish this out. Cointelegraph, Bitcoin-based security token offering approved in Germany. German financial regulators have approved a security token offering, STO, based on a Bitcoin BTC sidechain. Germany's Federal Financial Supervisory Authority, or BaFin, has green-lighted the EXO-EU token by game publisher Exordium, making local retail investors eligible to participate in the sale on Stoker, a major European digital marketplace. 
German investors can invest in EXOEU via Stoker with a minimum investment amount of $100. EXOEU is the second STO ever approved for the German market on Stoker after Boffin approved an STO by Parking Network Park and Go last year. Launched in January 2021, the EU security token is raising funds for the development of Samson Moe's sci-fi MMO game, Infinite Fleet. The offering has been available for investors in other European countries like France, Luxembourg, Spain, Portugal, raising more than $7 million to date. While many STOs are based on Ethereum blockchain, the EXOEU token is issued via Blockstream AMP, a platform for tokenizing securities built on the liquid sidechain of Bitcoin. Quote, Bitcoin is shaping payments and it's about time it shaped capital markets. This can be done via layer two technologies, Stoker co-founder Arnab Nascar said, adding that Ethereum is losing its charm as an STO platform due to high gas fees and the uncertainty around Ethereum 2.0. According to Stoker co-founder Tobias Settle, Boffin's approval of Exordium's STO marks a new milestone in cross-border blockchain-based STOs. Quote, we see Bitcoin as a fundamental backbone of the future of capital markets, which will be built on blockchains, he said. The news comes shortly after major crypto exchange Bitfinex announced last week that it would debut its own STO trading platform with Exordium, the EXO trading, not EXOEU. That's different, but they're both from, they're both from Exordium which is the publisher of, of Samson Moe's Infinite Fleet. And I've been talking about the Infinite Fleet's spaceships as NFTs, as being probably the only example of NFTs that make any amount of sense to me at all, because it has a utility inside of a video game. Now, for those who argue that, you, that video games have no utility at all, I get what you're saying. However, it's a, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry Clearly, some people find enjoyment in video games. And if you're going to have, if you're going to say that, you know, this thing is an NFT and you want to prove to somebody that you do own it and that it is, in fact, one of a kind, if you look into what Infinite Fleet is actually doing with their ships, uh, you will figure out real quick that you'd be able to do that and not have to explain to somebody how MetaMask works so that you can prove to them that this particular transaction hash and and wallet address proves that you own this two million dollar digital rock uh, this is the only place that an nft makes any sense to me at all okay so i do believe that there's a place for nfts i don't believe ethereum is anything other than a scam chain so it shouldn't be on there but liquid being a side chain to bitcoin there's merit there all right so that's why i'm bringing you this news anyway that's going to do it for the morning roundup All right, it's Monday. Can't let you go without a dad says jokes. Three weeks ago, I sent my hearing aid in for repair. I've heard nothing ever since. Okay, people, again, call for help. I do need your help, and I'm not ashamed to, to ask for it. Um, I've been doing this show for over, over two years. It's getting up on into, into three years. And I really want to make it my thing forever. I really do. But I can't do it without your help. I'm not a good marketer. I'm just not. And I would very much enjoy making this show even better 
where things are, you know, done a little bit in a, in a different way. There's a little bit more, uh, not longer as much as some more stuff inside of it uh, that is more than just, you know, uh, the news that you can use. I, I really want to make it that way, but I'm, I'm going to need your help. I cannot do it all by myself. If you would please help me get the word out about this show, retweet the show announcements. Um, I, you know, basically those come in the morning right now. It is 6.53 AM. I've been recording since 5.50 and I am about to do the edit of the show. And in about 10 minutes, you'll see something, you know, 10 minutes from now is basically when I do the show drop, um, somewhere around there. I try to get it out before 7.30 AM. If you see that tweet, which basically says something, it'll say something like, uh, episode 400, you know, 437 of Bitcoin and is live. You'll see that one and it will have like a little list of, of what I do. If you would retweet that and maybe ask some other people that you know to retweet that, I'd be, I'd be very much appreciative because I think I could do this, this show in a much better way with much better content that is much more informative, but I need to work on it a lot longer than I can right now. Because basically, ladies and gentlemen, I wake up at five. I put the news stories together for an hour. I get them laid out. And then by six o'clock, today was a little bit earlier, by six o'clock, I better be recording, which is generally how this has gone for three years. And then I do a little bit of post-production and then I ship it. And I do that Monday through Friday. And then I have to go do other things, okay, for all day long. If I were able to be able to, you know, pay all the bills with this show, then I would do nothing but work on this show for like 10 hours a day. And if I can do what I've done in the last three years within like a couple of hours, basically it takes me about two and a half hours to produce this entire show. If I could do that for 10 hours a day, think about what it would be. Help me get there. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.